Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you decided to spend a few minutes today here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Dr. Dan Allender and Kathy Lorzell, who uh, I'm talking with them about their brand new book called Redeeming Heartache, How Past Suffering Reveals Our True Calling. And this is something that I've been... uh, I've been looking forward to, I mean, I've already had the conversation with them, but I had been looking forward to this conversation because we dive into a lot of different things, particularly trauma and how it affects us and what we can do about it to lead to greater healing in our lives. Now, we're going to get into that conversation here in just a few minutes. But before that, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to let you know that we have really two core uh, beliefs, two core ideas that drives this podcast. The first one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because as you've realized probably in your life that you can't talk with anybody or you can't talk about anything with everybody or about everything with everyone. There's certain people that you want to avoid conversations with because you just know that it's not going to go well. And that is particularly true as it concerns ideas and things like trauma, which we're going to talk about. You want to be very careful who you talk about uh, that with because some people, when you talk with them about it, they they will end up using it against you and leveraging it over you and that's not healthy either. Now, that's one of the ideas. The other one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, from anything and from everything. And sometimes that means following the example of people. And sometimes that means learning from the example of what not to do from other people, from their successes, from their failures, which everybody has successes. Everybody has failures. Nobody is perfect. And that goes for people throughout history. That goes for you. That goes for me. That goes for uh, any leader right now. That they will let us down, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn from them and from what they did well, from what they didn't do well either. And we can learn from people who we disagree with also. I know that 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 just feels to be like a rarer and rarer thing that we are willing to learn from people that we disagree with And if they disagree with us, we just want to cancel them. But for those of us who are who are followers of Jesus, that's not an option. We don't have the option of canceling people. We don't have the option of just dismissing people and and saying that they're that they're dead to us. That that we cut them off from our life. We we don't have that right, and that doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries. That doesn't mean that. that we let anything go either. And it's and it's just a tough thing of just trying to figure out that tension. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here on the podcast is not eliminate the tension, but live in the tension of that. Of people that we disagree with, that we, uh, whether that be on the small things or on the big things. Now, uh, Today we're going to talk a lot about trauma, and that may be um, that could be triggering for some people. And I just want to give you a, a heads up on that. And so, if you're listening to this podcast and uh, you're starting to feel more anxious about it, or your anxiety is starting to rise, um, just 
be careful. You don't have to listen all the way through. You can listen in spurts and, and stops and, and all of that. But just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Um, and also, I just want to say, uh, if there's other things that you would love us to cover on the on the podcast or anyone that you would love us to learn from, please reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you in any of that as well. Now, let me tell you about our guests and who we have on the show today. Dr. Dan Allender is the best-selling author of numerous books, including The Wounded Heart, having spent 30 years pioneering a unique therapy centered around inner transformation. He has seen healing occur in countless individuals by connecting the story of the gospel to people's universal heart wounds. As a co-founder of both the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology and the Allender Center, he is widely sought as a speaker on topics of trauma recovery, love, and forgiveness. Kathy Lorzell is co-founder of the Allender Center, combining her background in organizational leadership and development with an MA in counseling psychology. She is a respected leader, instructor, and speaker over the past decade. She has also helped to develop the groundbreaking trauma-informed narrative theory. She and her husband live in Seattle with their two children, two dogs, and a flock of chickens. And without any further wait, here is our conversation. I actually forgot to say one last thing. I did not have the mic that I normally use whenever I typically record with this, so my audio will not be as good. However, the conversation and the quality of the conversation more than makes up for my mic quality. Now, let's join the conversation. Well, Kathy and Dan, I'm so excited to have both of you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you, Caleb. Good to be with you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, you have both co-authored this book, Redeeming Heartache. And I would just love to hear uh, from the both of you of what what led you both on this journey to, you know, getting involved with trauma and wanting to release this book, Redeeming Heartache. Yeah, Kathy, whatever possessed you to think about writing a book on trauma <laughs> during during a season of some of the most significant trauma, polarization, uh, shall we say, disease, division in our country. Not that not that a book on trauma would be that important at this point. Yeah, it's not a bad time to talk about trauma. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, for for us, we've been in this world. I've been in this world for about 17 years, um, starting as a student with Dan and then uh, co-founding the Allender Center um, about a decade ago with him and, and Becky, his wife. Um, you know, but this, Dan, this has been something that you've been living and breathing for a long time. This is your life's work. Um, and those of us who have joined you later, we've been able to to, to learn um, more about ourselves through understanding that what we're, we've really been dealing with are the ramifications of, of trauma and harm, um, you know, both in our, in our past and our present. Um, but, you know, w- when you start to um, lean into this work, a lot of us got into this because we were interested in psychology. Um, but one of Dan's greatest uh, messages is that you can't take anyone further than you've gone yourself. 
So imagine a bunch of people who are interested in helping others gathered in a grad school in Seattle, trying to figure out how we can become better at helping others and realizing we actually have to start with ourselves. And that's really where it all began was, um, you know, Dan invited all of us to our own journey to understand um, how we became who we are. And, and for so many of us, um, you know, when we really take account of who we are in the present, we realize, um, you know, we're, we're beautiful and there's such goodness and there's a lot of brokenness as well. And so we, um, so, so Dan kind of taught us and gave us language for how to, to lean into some of those stories of heartache and how they've impacted our present way of relating to the world. And Caleb, when I think about trying to answer that excellent question, I, I come back to a core theological reality that we live in the already and the not yet. And the not yet uh, is really a world outside of Eden in the midst of a deeply fallen world where it is inevitable that we're going to know trauma. And what we mean by trauma is a threat against goodness, against your life, against your marriage, against your health. Whenever we're in a world where there is a threat that can't be mitigated, can't be changed quickly, that sense of powerlessness and threat, fear and threat and powerlessness leads the body into an experience that we're only understanding in the last 15 to 20 years. I mean, we've got technology now, what's called an fMRI or a PET scan. We can see the brain in operation in a way that literally for millennia, we've had conjecture about, but we understand trauma Again, not so much we know now, but we have a better understanding of what happens to the body, to the heart, to the mind when we're in that kind of threat and that kind of powerlessness that leaves us feeling some degree of shame. So when we're dealing with living in a fallen world, we've got to have language to be able to describe what we're in, what we're going through, and therefore, what might be the direction for true healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just as you mentioned earlier, we're we're in a time to where it feels like trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just love both of your thoughts on kind of like just us as a society going going through that and kind of the effect that it it has had on us that maybe we don't even realize. Well, one of the things we talk about with trauma is that. When you're in a traumatic world and your body is experiencing, when I say body, I also mean your brain is experiencing some degree of fragmentation. You know, when we begin to feel like we're falling apart or when things are coming undone, that's the language people often will use. Technically, your brain uh, is shutting down. Uh, What is called your left hemisphere, particularly your left frontal lobe, it's shutting down. To some degree, we lose language. We lose the ability to think as we would normally be able to think. So when we're, our our body's in the middle of stress biochemical movement with cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline. And again, not to bore people, but to say, look, your brain is in a battle and you can't just choose to sort of 
get yourself back together. So we as a world culture, particularly within the Christian community, we don't know how to tend to our brain and our body when there's fragmentation. So we end up getting numb. We begin to dissociate and to disconnect from what feels overwhelming. And sadly, what often occurs is we isolate. So those three core words, we fragment, we get numb, we isolate. But all that, if I can put it very bluntly, we go from fear to anger. And what I've seen in our culture, uh, and again, when I say culture, I mean everybody uh, is overwhelmed and angry. And anger for a season feels like it coheres that fragmentation. It relieves us from a sense of numbness. And we have a community around us that's equally angry at those who wear masks, those who don't wear masks, those who voted for Trump, those who didn't vote for Trump. You know, polarization is really a result of undealt with trauma. And we can deal with a divided community if we can only be willing to deal with the fact we're actually personally deeply fragmented. Yeah, I think this is where it becomes so important that you can't um, fix the present without going back to the past because how we're handling the stress and the trauma that's going on currently is directly related to what happened to us that taught us how to deal with the world when we were young. So, you know, regardless of what sort of family you grew up in, none of us um, have avoided heartache, trauma, and harm within our families because no one is perfect. Like I'm, I'm a great mom. Um, my kids will need therapy. Like that's just what's true. <laughs> I know I'm a therapist, so I have bias. But, you know, I, I'm at my edge of what, how I can handle parenting well with um, present and, and goodness because I'm exhausted. My kids have been home for 18 months, um, but now they're going back to school. And I'm like so sad that they're leaving because our little wolf pack is being torn apart, you know. But again, all of how I'm handling the present is directly related to how I created coping mechanisms based on how I dealt with harm in my past. And so I think there's something where we, we have to um, have resiliency capacity to handle the present, right? We can't just run around and feel like everything's, I, I'm off the hook for my, my way of handling the world right now because I was harmed as a child. Like that's not what we're saying. But in order to really understand, for me to understand why I am handling situations in particular ways, I have to go back to where I first experienced betrayal, powerlessness, and shame. And how I first experienced those things are in direct correlation to how that's now playing out in my world today. And so, so, so I think the COVID um, world and, and the cultural trauma that we're currently in um, is, is actually fascinating because it brings all of us to the brink of our natural coping mechanisms and, and I think for a lot of us where we've had resiliency based on, you know, working harder, leaning into dissociation, just watching another show on Netflix, um, you know, taking the Ambien at night so you can sleep, all of our coping mechanisms are starting to wear down because we're in active trauma day after day after day after day. And I think it's asking us to actually have to do some of the deeper, harder work if we actually want to um, 
be living in a flourishing world, which means, again, you have to start with yourself. Um, and, and we believe you have to go back to those origin stories um, that, that put you on the trajectory you're on now. Yeah, uh, I'd be curious to ask because uh, what what you were mentioning, Kathy, our our coping mechanisms seem normal to us, and so sometimes we don't even realize that we're coping in ways because it's just how we were brought up. What are and I know that ca- like counseling is a given, like that that helps identify you know coping mechanisms and everything like that. Uh, but what are some signs to where it's like okay, I might be dealing with trauma and I don't even know it because it's my normal way of being. Mm-hmm. Dan, do you want to take that one or you want me to? No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm desperately waiting <laughs> for something of an answer. <laughs> well I think you can go back to what Dan was saying um, in terms of fragmentation, dissociation, and isolation. And so there are hallmarks to each one of those areas in our life that we can look at. And so Um, You know, the first one, if you're looking at fragmentation, how well are you remembering your life right now? Um, I, I, when I think back to last Wednesday, I honestly can't remember what I was doing, where I was, what meetings I was in. I'm vaguely keeping track of my summer based on vacations um, or like camping or weekends away. Um, But, but there's something about my life that I can tell. I am in a more of a trauma state because I'm fragmented. I'm I'm not being able to take in everything that's going on in my world without it sending me into either anxiety, panic, or again, dissociation. And so I think we can we can look at some of those clues to say, you know, where where am I not able to take in everything that's going on? And again, we have natural mechanisms. There's so much happening where we can't take it all in, nor should we. So there as have a, to be natural defense. Yeah. As an example, I, I literally yesterday, I, in the midst of a lot of uh, overall chaos and then some particular chaos, uh, I couldn't find my glasses. And I went to Becky and I said, have you seen my glasses? And she started laughing. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? It's not funny. I need my glasses. I need to get going. And she said, um, what do you feel on your forehead? And I'm like, what do you mean? She said, put your hands on your forehead. I put my hands on my forehead and that's where my glasses were. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. If I can't literally feel the presence of something on my forehead in the midst of my activation, you know, just that alone, instead of going, I'm crazy, I'm stupid, what's wrong with me, to actually stop and say, whoa, I'm fragmenting. Um, Now, what's happening in the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour that would cause me to be that disconnected, which is another word for fragmentation, that disconnected from the reality that I've got my glasses literally on top of my forehead. So I think in some ways, we don't slow down in the midst of most of our traumas to actually be able to collect, to collect enough data, to own enough of what's really happening right now. And I love what Kathy said, the present 
always is given light by the past. We, we know that biblically in terms of we, we look to the past. Where? Death and resurrection, the exodus. So we are a people who are meant to remember. But with regard to most of our lives, we don't want to remember what brought such original heartache, struggle, shame. And so that framework of being able to go, yeah, there are things yesterday that were really troubling, but it's got a larger history. Yesterday was part of a week, part of a month, part of a year, part of five years, part of a long. And so often when you feel like your brain isn't working, mm-hmm. we try to overcome it by just pushing harder versus being able to sit back and go, I need to stop. And I didn't have a few moments to do that work, but I did have that time a few hours later to say, there's a lot going on you need to tend to, which required a change in a kind of activation that often is there in the midst of trauma. We feel panic with trauma and we are angry. We are scared between fear and anger. Uh, we can get a lot done that doesn't profit us or others in the long run. Yeah. Do you have anything that you want to add to that, Kathy? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, a lot of what Dan is saying around fragmentation then moves you into dissociation and isolation. And, and those are the other two pieces that, um, that, that I see really prominent today. Um, you know, you're how I was looking through my Netflix list of all the shows that I've watched during the last 18 months. And I'm like, I, I finished Netflix. It's, I finished it. <laughs> There's nothing left to watch. Like now what? <laughs> now what do I do? Yeah. I mean, literally. Disney Plus, I, Disney yeah, Plus has got some alternatives. Yeah. I mean, honestly. But it was one of those moments where of sobriety where I was like, wow, I, that's a lot. That's a lot of stories that, that I've, I've needed to kind of soothe my own anxiety um, and, you know, and, and then where am I, um, ha- needing that extra glass of wine to soothe during the day when I feel panicked when I, you know, and so again, like, what are you going to when it feels a little bit too much and your natural ways of coping with your anxiety or your panic or your fear, like Dan was saying, are not working. So you're having to up the ante, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that, and that can, again, that's normal. Like, you know, we need to be able to be like blessed the fact that we have dissociative uh, capacities or else it would be too overwhelming. But where is it going over the edge in your life where, um, where you know you're creating into a place of unhealth or it's starting to impact? Like my kids are like, mom, please put down your phone, right? You know, being on my phone is part of my job. You know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're on the road trying to sell a book. You know, there's a lot that's going on. And I can tell that like, if I have five minutes, instead of being in my body and being present, I'm, I'm reaching for my phone really quickly to a degree where I'm like, wow, I should probably maybe put this in, a, in another room. Right. And then there's the other piece of isolation where, um, you know, how much are you reaching out to other people when other people reach out to you? What does it feel like? When you go to the grocery store, are you overwhelmed by the stimulation and you just are are only wanting to order your food off of, you know, Amazon? Um, you know, I think there, there are different things that you can look at 
um, that are indicators of how well are you doing right now. Um, and then the particularity of how you're um, you're handling your crisis or your trauma, even if it's like paper, you know, daily paper cuts, right? Instead of like a big catastrophic thing that's happening in your life, again, is directly related to how you were taught to handle the world when you were young. Yeah. Uh, can you both just tease out? And I feel like uh, we did a pretty good job of it with fragmentation, but teasing out just the tension because like there is healthy distraction and then there is... Yeah. There's the unhealthiness of it. And then the same with isolation of sometimes you just need to be by yourself. And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm by myself too much. Uh, would you mind just teasing out like some guardrails or some guidelines to just navigating both of those tensions? Mm-hmm. I, I love the way Kathy put it. None of us are meant to enter into the fullness of what God experiences each and every day. None of us can do that. None of us can enter into all the sorrow. But in some ways, we're really guided by the Psalms. Uh, Can we actually praise? Can we actually lament and complain? And there are more Psalms of complaint and lament than there are of praise and thanksgiving. So we are given an opportunity to actually enter what our body, what our heart feels with regard to the heartache that we're in the middle of. And I think there are too many people who want to turn the old phrase lemons into lemonade versus in one sense, deal with the sour, Mm -hmm. to hold the sour long enough to actually let there be some degree of grief. So when your distractions your dissociative structures are keeping you from entering into heartache, grief, lament, anger, even with God, then I can say your distractions are eventually going to kill you. Um, No matter whether they're as severe as heavy drinking or far less severe, watching a few Netflix or the entire compendium of the shows that they have. The bottom line is, When you are escaping your fragmentation and not naming it, uh, when you're not engaging the heartache that you are experiencing and you're cutting yourself off from actually being honest with your present and your past with others, then what I would say is, yeah, this is a trajectory that's not going to go well. Yeah, I think we have choices. Um, all the time in terms of how we're handling our our own heartache. And so um, like the the other day I was, uh, this is a hard season for me. I hate the shift from summer to fall. It makes me sad just every time. And I know that I live in Seattle, so it gets real dark here and it's like, you know, dark at four, it doesn't get light till eight eventually, you know, and I know I'm about four months away from that. I start to panic especially in COVID, I don't have all of like, I don't have an office to go to anymore. I'm not um, as connected to to people in the same way. So I can feel myself starting to panic and starting to get sad. And and in those moments, like I'm self-aware enough where I have a sense of it, but I know that I don't actually want to feel sad right now. I have one more week left of summer. We have another camping trip coming up. I want to like, I want to be here for it. The leaves are still in the trees. I don't want to feel sad yet. It's not over. Um, give me my summer. And, and so I'm holding on to it tight, but I can tell I'm on the verge of tears all the time. 
And, and what my body actually needs is for me to be able to sink into the feeling and acknowledge I am grieving the loss of a sweet, good summer. And I am going into a fall that is full of unknowns. And, and I can tell that when I really sink into that, when I get a sense of, of being sad, I do want to grab my phone. I want to distract myself. I want to, you know, grab a beer and sit on the back porch. Like, again, none of that is bad in and of itself. But the question is why? Do I know why and what I'm trying to distract myself from not feeling by giving myself something else to soothe what actually needs to be soothed by connection, by attunement, and then by grief? And so I have that choice. And in the moment, I actually went to my husband instead of isolating, instead of going into my own internal world of like, I'll just fix it up, put a bow on it, take a, you know, take a shot of whiskey and then get on with my life. Um, I, I actually went and was like, Hey, I'm feeling, I'm feeling things. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling, and we're both therapists. Like, we should be really good at this. We still are terrible at actually talking about our feelings. Like, we're very bad. And, and I'm like, you know, I, I think I'm feeling these things. I need to talk it out and I talk it out and I actually reach bottom of the grief and I'm like, and I'm able to name, oh, I'm, I'm so sad because there's been such goodness and I don't know what's coming next. And I feel anxious and unaware. And I also know that that's connected to so many seasons of my life when I was young, where my anxiety, we were a military family and we moved all the time. And so I was always in seasons where I was leaving something that was good, that I knew that was familiar. And I was moving on to something that I knew nothing of. I didn't know if I would find friends again. I didn't know if it would be okay. I didn't, you know, and I, and so I'm immediately transported back to those original traumas. And, and in my past, my parents, because they were also in the midst of moving, didn't want to hear about my grief or my fear because it was like, we were all strong military family. We we just got to do it and get it done and move you know, I'm immediately transported back there in that moment, but I have a choice because I actually have more cognition of my own feelings. And I have a husband who will listen and be with me. And so that question is, will I move back into my past trauma, isolate, dissociate, move on, or will I go back to my husband and actually shift the trajectory and give my body and heart and brain what it needs? Uh, One of I was talking with somebody this past week and we were just talking about how uh, how hard it is for us growing up uh, to tap into our emotions, whatever it comes to that. And even just realizing, like for me, there was, like, there was a long period of my life to where like I could go months, even like a year without even crying. And then like mm-hmm. I would watch a movie and so, like a tear would come down. What are some of the things, and I've gotten a lot better at it, thankfully because of the, slow, the slowing down that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, what are some things that allow us to be able to better tap into that emotion or that sadness or that or that grief or just the the mourning and the loss and the the lament of what you were talking about, Dan? Of like we're not in Eden, and being allowed and helping us to feel our feelings. Mm-hmm. It, oddly, I think sometimes we need placeholders. We need, in one sense, a a category to be able to enter to understand better what we're feeling. It's one of the reasons I go back to the Psalms. Uh, There's something about reading good poetry that allows me to engage heartache, anger, confusion, struggle. And one of the things we do in, in redeeming heartache is we open up these categories of orphan, stranger, and widow. And 
I, I hope it's helpful for others, but it's really been helpful for me to be able to name, look, I, I, my parents are no longer alive, but it, I, I wasn't an orphan. But the fact is, oh, yes, we all are orphans. And I, I'm not a stranger, but I'm strange. And there are realities about what a stranger experiences. And my wife is alive, and yet we're all widows or widowers. So taking those three categories of trauma, those are all traumatic categories. And to be able to, in one sense, it's like opening a room and being able to now see, oh, this is what an orphan feels. This is what a stranger feels. This is what a widow or widower feels. Has given, I think, for Kathy and I, language to be able to remember when we talk about trauma, it fragments our ability to think. And I need some clarity of these archetypes give me a way in to being able to name what's actually happening in my life. And so, you know, if, if we can play with that for a yeah. moment, just to say, Kathy's written brilliantly on what it means to be an orphan. Yeah. Kathy? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I love, I love characters and I love stories. And I think these, these three areas are so helpful because again, they give us a way to start to understand our own stories and so, you know, we don't have to go far before we have impressions of what an orphan is. An orphan is someone who um, was born, again, we were born intrinsically knowing that we need care. Right away, we cry. Right away, we're, we, we, we don't flinch. Like our, our baby bodies um, know that we're meant to, to scream out when we're in need. That's, and, and the role of our family is to take care of us and to attune to, to us and know. And, and somewhere along the way, that gets ruptured. Um, that gets shattered because our parents aren't perfect and, and we don't get the, the full care that we fully need um, in a perfect world. And there are degrees of severity to that, but really what that happens in with for the, the orphan part of our hearts is that we learn quickly, um, we can't rely on other people. We need to rely on ourselves. There's no one coming. Um, there's no perfect mother. There's no one who's going to attune to the degree that we need. And so we then have to deal with the with the difference, the divide between what what we're actually meant for and what is true in the reality in our world. And, and, and so the orphan then takes on control. Um, I, you know, I can't receive anything. I can't give myself. Um, I don't, I'm not going to trust care. And, and ultimately I'm not going to rest um, and believe that I'm going to receive the care that I need. And so there's a hyper, hyper vigilance and a sense of, of I'm going to work really hard to make sure that all of my needs are met. But again, that closes you off from relationship and it closes you off from being able to build trust within other relationships because you're so self-sufficient and self-reliant. And that is celebrated in our culture. Um, but you know, when we start to, to dig into it and realize, wow, this is, there's actually a degree of dysfunction in this, it actually gives us language and a lot of grace for the parts of us that had to manifest in order to care for our own hearts because they were not being cared for well by others. And I, I did a lot of writing on being strange and a stranger. <laughs> Basically, the idea that you didn't fit, that you know, that you weren't one of the cool kids. And I still feel 
even when I use that phrase, I, I think back to the pair of mattress shorts that my mother made me wear when I was in about third or fourth grade. And mattress was not in when I was wearing it. And the humiliation, uh, the, the sense of being taunted, mocked, uh, bullied, uh, that, you know, you don't fit. And when you don't fit, uh, it's so easy to feel in many ways, not just cut off, uh, you know, but also resentful, envious, cynical. And so if if we combine these two, the orphan who feels like they don't have enough to the stranger who feels like I, I have to work really, really hard to fit, but nothing I do is enough to actually get me into the world and the community that I most want to be related to. Uh, it is so lonely. Uh, and yet many, many strangers turn to uh, kind of a addictive process to resolve that sense of, again, taunting and loneliness. And so when we're beginning to play with these categories, uh, you know, we, we're opening the door to, well, we long for love. And that's the category of widow and widower. You lost love. Uh, and in that, you, you're lonely, you, you don't have enough, you don't fit, and you don't have the love that you were meant to enjoy. So when we put all those three together, the, the Bible actually gives us a way to look at life much more honestly uh, than many of us have been trained either in our families or churches. And that that's what we're trying to do in the book is to say, you got to tell the truth. But the truth will set you free, but it may make you miserable, at least for a short period. And in that misery, there's something really, really good in and ahead on your behalf. And, and that's the confidence that we bring into dealing with trauma. It isn't just to resolve it, uh, but there's actually something that we're meant to become through the traumas that we know, we're meant to come back to ourselves, and actually, in coming back to ourselves, to discover something of the uh, richness, beauty, and glory that we have been given, being created in God's image. And so, we want people to know this isn't just hard work. This is work that will bring sweetness and hope in a way that distraction, addiction, isolation uh, will never take you to. Yeah. Uh, can one of you, or even both of you, tease out what you were just saying, Dan, about, like, it's a, this can be a very painful process. And when we enter pain, we turn away from pain or run away from it as much as possible. Um, and it's, and it's counterculture and you, you both talk about it so much in the book of like, it's going to require diving into that pain. Can, can you just talk more just about that idea? Yeah. Um, gosh. So it is exceedingly painful to, to turn around, slow down and face the truth. 
um, both the truth about what's what's true about us and how how we have impacted, how we've potentially harmed, how we have failed, um, but also the truth of how we have been harmed. Um, you know, we want to keep our families intact. We don't want to disrupt something that even if it's working moderately well, we don't want to go back and and disrupt the image that we have of of family members of of our our childhood. Um, and even if it's been awful and you have like significant trauma where you've already kind of left your family, you don't, you haven't idealized them. It's still so painful to go back and relive it again. And I think so much of, of our, our bodies and minds fear that if we go back, we're going to be swallowed up by grief, by the sorrow, um, that we're just going to kind of careen down a hill and find ourselves in a valley of death that doesn't actually bring goodness. And I think part of why Dan and I wrote this book is because we we've been doing, I've been doing story work for about 17 years. Dan's been doing it for, I don't know. About, about 200. <laughs> A long time. And, and I don't think we would continue to, to go forward with this if we didn't see people um, receiving such healing and freedom by doing the counterintuitive thing, which is sinking back into the truth of what actually happened and allowing the waves of grief and sorrow to wash over you, that those waves actually wash away something of the crust and, and the, um, the calcification that harm has brought to our bodies and our minds that keep us bound to our trauma. So unaddressed trauma um, keeps you bound to it. Even if you feel like you're ignoring it, you've moved on from it, it does not leave your body or your psyche until it is addressed, until it's tended to, until it's cared for. And and yes, it's painful, but it's like PT. You know, like, yes, your shoulder hurt is going to hurt and it's going to be hard to do the the work. But guess what? At the end of it, you're going to have a shoulder that's able to play tennis again. Um, how wonderful. Now you get to to enjoy you know this thing that you've loved for all of your life. So it's like, do I go through the pain of surgery and PT? Um, well, what's the alternative? Living with a shoulder that's never going to work again um, when there's actually the potential for healing, and and I think that's that's the that's the groundwork. And we again, we have seen it work over and over and over again. And when people turn and go back to their greatest fears, the things that have haunted them for their whole lives, things that they've never wanted to be true about themselves or about others, the freedom that then is in their body when they've been able to grieve, they face it, um, like their faces change, their bodies shift, the way they hold themselves, the way they parent, the way they um, play, the way that they enjoy their life. Like we have seen it happen over and over and over again, but it only happens when you're able to turn and then believe that sorrow and suffering is not the end game and it's not going to kill you. Um, it, it actually brings you to more life. Um, but our world tells us otherwise. You, you've heard the phrase, and I, I, I know it's in almost everyone's mind, no gain without pain. But there's a point where no there's a certain amount of pain that will actually disrupt any degree of gain. So it isn't a matter of just dive into the deep end, suffer it, and you'll be better. It's far more the kindness of God, the kindness, the kindness, learning how to be kind to your body. 
um, you know, we 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 believe deeply that we are meant to enter truth, but we can only take so much truth. Yeah, uh, amen. And that and that means that there is a lifetime process. We don't have to get this done tomorrow, uh, but we also need to know that my body. Think of it in terms of, of physical exercise. My body will say to me when I'm on my exercise bike, enough, you're hurting, you're enough, no more. Okay, you know, uh, it, I need to listen to it, but I also need to say, no, I think I can go a couple more minutes. I don't have to go an hour, but uh, five more minutes will be. So I think there is this, shall we say, the need to enter heartache, but heartache with a kindness that allows us to do so with generosity for ourselves and others. And therefore, a certain freedom to begin to say, shame has taught us to be cruel to ourselves. We need kindness to dissolve some of the deep consequences of what trauma has brought to us. Yeah. Uh, I have one more question that I want to ask, and then I want to turn it a little bit towards the, the other archetypes and categories that you talk about briefly in the book that help us move more to a healthy place. But one thing that I wanted to ask about in regards to this is, um, like at least in my experience, is realizing that I can tell that there, there's something maybe more behind the behavior because it keeps coming or, or my reaction is greater than, than what it should be. And, uh, and I just can't, I'm having trouble identifying. And is that just a part of like my, my body or my brain is maybe not in a state that it's ready to receive whatever that truth is? I don't know. That's just a theory that, that I'm thinking about. I'm just love your guys' thoughts on that. Well, it's, it's the word reenactment. Our, our bodies will keep, shall we say, reminding us of what we have not addressed. And I love the way you put it, Caleb. It's, it's true. There are just times we're not ready to deal with something. But uh, again, when I say body, I mean our body, which includes uh, our vagal system, our limbic system, our brain, blah, blah, blah. It's going to kind of keep knocking on the door. And that's the image of, I knock on the door. I'm going to keep knocking on the door until there really is a movement for healing. Because our body, our God, our very being wants healing. Uh, and that healing is something that is available, maybe not perfectly ever, but far more than what most of us have allowed ourselves to actually participate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the book, I talk about um, uh, Sally's story, and um, and Sally is, you know, obviously like a made up character, but but and yet not right. Sally is everyone's story and no one's story, um, you know. But we take her through the the healing process that we that we move people into at the Allender Center with our story workshop, and um, and and I think it's so powerful because it it also shows that we can't necessarily do this work by ourselves. Um, we can't, we, we don't, we're, we're too entrenched in our own story. There's too much fragmentation. There's been too much trauma and harm. We really need readers outside of our own selves to be able to help us understand what they see that we can't necessarily see. Um, that's why, you know, friendships, trusted partners, um, you know, come to a story workshop, see a therapist, like they're, yeah. they're, 
it, this isn't work that's meant to be done alone um, because we can so easily become dysregulated and then we're just underwater and there's no good work or no good um, uh, wisdom that comes when you're just, you feel like you're drowning because you're overwhelmed by unprocessed trauma. Yeah. So as we're moving to the end of our conversation, I would just love uh, for the both of you to kind of tease out the the other three types that are talked about in the book and and the the priest, the prophet, and then the queen and the king as well. Right. Well, you orphaned. I'll turn to you to talk about the glory of orphan becoming the priest. Yeah. So the core of the orphan is that um, because you didn't have attunement and care, you had to take care of it on your own. Um, And really, if it's up to you to process your whole story, you're only going to take it, be able to take in so much. So the, the key for orphan is fragmentation, right? We've talked about that. The way to handle fragmentation is um, what we would call attunement, um, which is basically someone being with you. And this is what we were just talking about with stories, someone being with you and being able to listen to your story and help you bring all of the pieces that have been fragmented back together so that you can feel and see the, the, the whole trajectory of your story. That is the role of the priest. And I know these categories, you know, are, are, are from the Bible, um, but I also think they're, they're pretty universal. And it doesn't mean like a pastor, right? And it doesn't mean like a Catholic priest. Like we're talking kind of the larger category of, of a priest. And the role of the priest in the community is to tell the story of the people and to help us um, uh, transcend the, the um the line between what's true about God and then what's true about humans. The priest really goes in between that veil and helps us reorient our, our, our bodies, our worlds back to grief, back to lament, and also back to gratitude. And um, we talk about the, the role of rituals, uh, you know, and, and ritual is really just a way to, to offer our bodies um, a, a way to overcome thresholds. You know, e- even as I was talking about, um, at my kids going to school or the, the, the threshold between summer and fall, we, we have rituals that go along with that. Like I went to target and got to pick out school supplies and I was like, yes, this is a ritual around, around an ending and a beginning. And I packed my kids backpacks and we bought new school clothes. Like that is a ritual around the process of going from one season to another. And, and that's really the priest's role in our community and in our own bodies. And again, this is part of what we can be for ourselves, but also what we can be for other people. Um, I think I think priests are often um, the the ones who are slower, who are the gardeners, who are the tenders to um, uh, community dinners, and and are often the ones who invite us back to telling the stories and back into our bodies. I love that. It's the idea of remembering. Mm-hmm. So we say the word remember. We don't really get the notion that often our members are scattered, divided, and we remember, we bring things back together. So, you know, that priestly work sets us up to dream, and that's what a prophet is. So if we say a stranger often feels isolated and often hurt and angry for not being included, 
so often the prophets of our world aren't just the people who yell at others and tell them they're wrong. And that's not really a good prophet. The prophet dreams redemption, dreams what could be. And so uh, poets, artists, people who allow their imagination to move into the future to bring what could be into the present. That's what we mean by a prophetic spirit. So, you know, we're really talking about the priest who remembers, who helps us grow in our faith, and the prophet who dreams and brings back those dreams of goodness and arouses us to want to have more. Well, they're the ones who help increase our hope, and we need faith and hope to be able to love. And that's what we'd argue the king, the queen uniquely brings, and that is they are the one who, you know, provides and protects, who creates the foundation, the infrastructure for flourishing, for love to grow so that we give and receive. So what we're trying to do with these categories is to say trauma, orphan, stranger, widow, opens the possibility of us becoming who we're really meant to be, priests who remember, prophets who dream and create a vision for what could be, and kings and queens who come in to help us shape the present in a way that remembers, dreams, but lives well to create flourishing today. And that excites me. Uh, I mean, I don't like trauma. Uh, I, I love the privilege of working with others. I don't like my own. But I have to actually believe there is something possible through this suffering that can bring goodness to not just my own body and heart, and not just to my own family, but to a larger world. And that's where we're inviting people to actually see these ancient archetypes as uh, honestly entering, but also hopefully moving. Yeah. And just as uh, we're coming to the end of our conversation, just any final thought or anything that uh, you just want to talk about regards to the book or anything that you're thinking about that's like, hey, I just want to make sure that I mention this that's just on top of mind right now. Wow. Given our world, what I would say is uh, we are going to be in trauma for a long time. So we need to own the reality that we can tell the truth, we can do so slowly and kindly, and we can be shaped for the present into the future in ways that, yeah, there will be some struggle but there is a reason to anticipate and hope that not just what will occur, but who we will be in the process will be something really, really worth the kind of suffering that we have gone through and will go through. Any last word for you, Kathy? Um, I think what, what I love about this work and what I love about um, the 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 book that Dan and I wrote um, is that it doesn't just stop with the trauma. It doesn't stop 
with it, with the idea of what happened to you. It also gives you a trajectory and it's not, it's not like a five-step program where you do these five things and then all of a sudden you're healed, but it does give you a roadmap onto a journey that can bring you freedom and joy and restoration. And, and it's not just so that each of us can, can, you know, be more happy, right? It's because we actually need to be able to have the journey towards redemption for our culture, um, for our world, for our communities, for our families that are fragmented. Um, and, and so again, this, this isn't about a five-step program, but it is about a journey that can bring you towards, um, a, a redemptive arc that I think, you know, in, in our world right now, it's really hard to come by hope. Um, and, 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 and real hope, like deep hope that isn't just cheap, you know, take this pill or do these things and then you're going to be fine. And also isn't self-reliant hope in the idea of like, just become a better person and then you'll be more happy and grab all of the things that you need in the world. It's, it's really a connective community, um, of, of, of redeemed healers that are also very aware of their own brokenness. Um, I think what this does is then shatter the idea of narcissistic healing that is just about you becoming better um, and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It, it allows us to move into um, a difficult journey, but one that I think will has the potential to bring a lot of flourishing and goodness. Yeah, and I know that uh, reading Redeeming Heartache is going to help a lot of people do just that. And so where's the best place for people to go to pick up the book and to continue to learn from both of you and the Allender Center, Center and all of that stuff. Well, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'll just say, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Amazon, but I'm also an addicted user. So let's just say you can support the Seattle company and buy the book. <laughs> you can buy the book at redeemingheartachebook.com. Um, and it'll be available everywhere books are sold. And if you want to find more about the um, the Allender Center and the work that we do there, um, go to the allendercenter.org and you can see all of our work. And then Dan and I are doing some conferences um, this fall, which we would love to see you at. And that's all available at the allendercenter.org as well. You can follow me at kathy.lorzell on Instagram, as well as the Allender Center and Dan. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for thanks for doing your own work to share it with all of us. Yeah. Thank you, Caleb. Good to be with you. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you so much. I think coming out of the conversation with Dan and Kathy, one of the things that really stood out to me in it was just the idea of fragmentation that they were talking about and how that could be a sign of trauma or that we're not processing through everything that we've experienced in our day. And so that's something that I've been, I've personally been working on because I've just noticed that more in my life of just realizing, oh, I'm not as good about keeping, keeping track of uh, how the day is going or what happened this day or did it happen, you know, three days ago, did it happen this week? Did it happen last week? All, all of that. And so two practices um, that have helped me and that is one, I'm trying to do better at slowing down and creating uh, space for my brain just to slow down at the beginning of the day, which I feel like I do a pretty good job at. And at the end of the day, which I, uh, I'll i just say I have some work to do on that, but just trying to create a space for 
for silence and for solitude to where I'm not listening to anything. I don't have any headphones in. I'm not listening to any podcast or watching anything. I'm, I am just offering my brain some free space, some open space for it to, to work through the day. Another thing that I've been doing is um, I've started uh, journaling about what I call moments of the day. And they're just some of the highlights of the day that have really stood out to me throughout the day. And it could be anything from one thing to five things. Sometimes there's no things in there and I just skip the day or I just write about it. Um, but just trying to keep track of the day and what happened in each day and what, what, stood out to, what stood out to me and what was meaningful in, in that day. And so those are a couple of things that I'm trying to practice with it. Dan and Kathy had so many great recommendations. I highly recommend the book as well, Redeeming Heartache. And yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you left a rating or wrote a review of the podcast on whatever podcast player you use. That would mean a ton to me. And um, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit the follow button or the subscribe button on whatever podcast player you're using as well. You can reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com and let me know any other guests that you would love to have on the podcast or topics or things that you would love um, for us to talk about on the podcast or anything that's coming up as well or anything that you would love to yeah learn it about. And it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about, but um, we are not too far from having uh, the 250th episode of The Learner's Corner, which is just uh, ridiculous that we're getting to that point. But we wouldn't be there. One, we wouldn't be there without uh, Todd, uh, who helped found the podcast as well. And he's getting ready to, I think, launch a podcast here coming up as well. And uh, we'll, we'll talk with him more about that sometime, I think, coming up on the podcast at some point or another. Um, but thanks to Sam Massey, who has created the podcast, or not created the podcast. <laughs> he didn't create the podcast. He did help create the music for the podcast, though. Thanks to Garrett, who does the editing for this podcast. And thanks to Dan and Kathy, again, for being on the podcast and um, personally just helping me a whole lot by just diving into this subject of of trauma and how it affects us as well. And so I think that's all that I have for today. And so my name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>